All right, ladies, gents. We just gents here, but uh, we are back in effect. We are RegalRadio.com, War Media, and we are the uh, Running with War show, giving you the best in basketball knowledge and conjecture. That's a talk for, that's a fancy word for talk for all of y'all. You know, we don't think about words so much, but uh, yeah, this is Kyle Means with my guys, Drew and Josh here in uh, um, connecting as usual, uh, connecting on this off day for the finals, uh, you know, between games three and four, uh, taking in everything that's we're going to take in everything that's going on so far because I think uh, our last year our last show was before game one just before game one so you know we've uh, seen these three games thus far and uh, you know well I'll get you know we'll get get I'll get you guys' opinion on how you think the series is and how you think it's going to play out you know given these uh, early results but. Uh, you know that's going to be pretty exciting. We got a uh, uh, some go have some talk on the Nigeria upset of Team USA from Saturday, as uh, well as another Saturday event, uh, the the last uh, Sky game from the first half of the season. Uh, pretty uh, you know pretty competitive game they played against Washington at uh, Winchester Arena and a, a pretty uh, packed house too. It was a We'll talk about what went into that. A lot of energy that was at that game. Uh, and our guy Chris was there. I'm trying to – hopefully he'll be on the show. He's not here at the moment, but uh, we'll see. Also, another hope. We got three and a couple. We, uh, you're only supposed to have like one possible if you're playing spades. We got like two possibles. So that's, that's what doing a show is like with – Black folks, but uh, we got three and two possibles. Uh, I guess another guess uh, looking at having tonight is uh, Ace Rod Blakely. I uh, was a veteran NBA writer. I uh, was worked for uh, the papers in Boston. He's uh, contributing now to uh, Bleacher Report and uh, Ebony Magazine and other places like that. So uh, he should be coming on. I, he's, you know, from what I have. <laughs> I have uh, expressed with him, and he's expressed with me. He uh, he should be coming on at about uh, 15 minutes after seven. But uh, as of now, it's just it's just us three fellas. So uh, I don't know. Let's get it kicked. Let's uh, get it popping. Um, what's you guys? What you guys thoughts on these first three games of the finals? Um, you know, uh, Suns up two one. They took. The two in in their home court uh, to start the series uh, Sunday was a pretty big role reversal. You know, Milwaukee. I, although at first, you know, the Suns did look pretty strong early on, uh, uh, but in the second quarter, you know, uh, quite a bit changed. Uh, Milwaukee finally started to assert itself in the post in the way that you know we we sort of seen in the past couple uh, past couple series with them where. They sort of experiment a little bit too much in those 
in their first two games to their detriment. But by the time they get to about three game three or four, so they they're sort of in a place where they want to be, and then they sort of fight for the rest of the series. But you know they are uh, as we get you know they were pretty impressive though in game three yesterday, uh, winning by twenty. And uh, you know me and Drew's picks are still they're not looking so bad at the moment, but uh, you know picking the picking the Bucks and seven is a little risky. Uh, already, it was all, uh, you know, it was a, risk, a little risky off top, but uh, we still got some hope for our picks. So, uh, but uh, anyway, as far as you know, what we've seen so far, you know, what what are you guys' thoughts? I think for me, it was just you know, aside from my pick, my pick looking pretty kind of nice right now. Um, but you had the Suns of six, right? I had Suns of seven. Oh, seven, okay. Adam at seven. So, um, I think Chris had him at six, but. Yeah. You know, the Suns, I think I just look at it as both teams are doing their jobs for the most part. They've taken advantage of, the, of their home court games um, so far. And at the, end, at the end of the day, you know, it boils down to who is going to be the most consistent. We know out of both of those teams, the Suns are, have been the most consistent when it comes to playing their side, continuing with their cycles and playing the style of ball that they need to play in order to win the games they need to win. Um, the as Kendrick Perkins would say, the Bucks are the dumbest team in the world. <laughs> Just because they don't always stay consistent with their offensive plan, especially when it comes to them sticking to what they know best. Um, I think game three was a prime example of what of what that looks like when it came to actually them being consistent from the beginning of the game to the end with their game plan, especially when it comes to the play of Giannis, um, him playing in the post for the most part and in that painted area for pretty much the entire game offensively, um, pretty much opened the floor for Chris Middleton and um, Drew Holiday to play the play at least at a good enough level for them to get to that for them to get to that win. And then obviously you're at home, so the role players of that Bucks team, you know, came through pretty fire. And you can never uh, dismiss the fire of Bobby Portis and the way that he brings heat to the court um, to make an impact in a home court game. So you know this that was, it was none of this was surprising to me. Um, was kind of expected. Um, but at the end of the day, in all these games, the, the constant thing for me has been consistency. The Suns controlled the tempo. They controlled um, offense, both both ends on the floor in the first two games. The Bucks did it did it in game three. Whoever can be the most consistent throughout the rest of this series is, really, is pretty much going to be the winner of this, of this championship. And, you know, obviously that's still up in the air, but that's, that's, for, that's for the most part going to be the most consistent theme that's to take place throughout this series in order to pick a, a true winner. Uh, Drew, for you go, I'm going to say something real quick about the coverage. And, you know, you mentioned Kendrick Perkins. And, um, you know, I think the the whole ESPN crew in particular, uh, the network guys, not necessarily the ABC people, but the, the ESPN people, have just been dragging, you know, Milwaukee. And I think they've been acting like, you know, they haven't seen, again, like they haven't seen this team throughout the playoffs pretty much do the same thing that they've been doing in this series in regards to the way that they come out in the series. And, and then, you know, to that degree, it's not, yeah, it's not the smartest thing to come out and give the first two games away. But it's like Giannis has also played his ass off every game in the series. It's not like they haven't 
especially in particular in this city, they haven't necessarily gone against their nature. They just haven't played the way that they probably absolutely should play or the way that they – it's not as drastic as, like, when they shot, like, 53s against the Nets in those first two games or something like that. They just – you know, they've had Giannis, and really their problem has been that in the first two games that Holiday and, and Milton come through the way that they should have. And they in game three, they did. They were efficient. They made plays, and they scored. And they got more from their from again the the roster beyond that, like uh, you know Portis and Connaughton and stuff. And that's to be expected when they come home. So uh, all this, you know, again with ESPN, they're this they're the worldwide leader in overstatement. You know, we saw today what uh, what SAS is on. He's letting his mouth run away with him on in other places, but. You know, he's saying too much and Wilbon is saying too much. And then then uh, Kendrick's got to come along and, and, and one-up them as well. So it's like, I, I just think the way that Milwaukee's been depicted in the series, just, it's just been a bit too much. And it's been, the, you know, you can't, you couldn't, people were trying to put them in the hole, you know, permanently after these first two games. This didn't make sense to me. And now, you know, that they played the way they played Game Three, and now it's like, oh, okay, you know. But you know, we do have to see how they're going to deal with success. Can they continue on? I believe they can, and that's one of the reasons why, you know, their ability to defend and their ability to, you know, control the paint on both ends of the court is one of is probably the main reason why I was willing to pick them in seven. I think. I also think they're not going to lose again on their home court. The real challenge for them going forward is what game, if any, can they squeeze out in Phoenix? Can they, if they can do that, then that's the, you know, yeah, that's the key to them winning the series. I don't say beyond that, I don't think they're going to lose in Milwaukee going forward. Yeah, to, to your point, um, Giannis has been – the headline of this of these finals, even though they're down two one, not no straight forty and ten games. Man. Yeah, you see the you see the graphic yeah. numbers being compared to Jordan, being compared to um, LeBron and and KD. This this dude is is serious, man. For all the the naysayers or you know the people that want to critique his game endlessly and say that he's not a one A, a, you know this this guy's putting in work. He's putting Milwaukee on on his back. Um, especially those first two games where Middleton and, and Holiday struggle so so much. Um, so that's been the main thing for me. In addition to in those first games, just like it's just like you couldn't do anything to anything to them to throw them off rhythm. Like they looked they looked like they had an answer for everything. Um, they really just were surgical offensively, like whatever. Uh, Milwaukee wanted to try to take away. They had a they had a, a counter to, they had a counter to the counter. Like it's just it just it was masterful the way they played that those first two games. Um, and that's that's their advantage when you look at their ability to set their offense. They you know, they have a they have one of the all time floor generals that they're disposable disposable I should say, and they have the best perimeter player in the in the in the uh the series on this side as well although he didn't he had a, a very bad game yesterday uh Bevin Booker so you know yeah 
just jumping at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, but I think now that we see uh, how well Giannis is moving on that knee, I think it's going to come down to Middleton and Holiday. What can you get from them on a night-to-night basis? Uh, you know, how how well can the Bucks defend um, whether they're going to, you know, uh, play Brooke Lopez up a little bit higher on the drop, which I think is the, probably the best option for them rather than trying to switch and just <laughs> letting CP3 or Booker just cook on um, Portis or Lopez out on the perimeter. Um, so it's, 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 it's a, it could go either way, but like I said, I've like, like you, Kyle, I've got the Bucks in seven because I think that they can make the plays they need to. I still feel like, Middleton and Holiday will give them enough um, in addition to Giannis and that they can eventually cut off the water, you know, enough to squeak out uh, three more wins. Yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah, like you say, the plays, I would would say more specifically the stops, but they could, yeah, they could score too. They showed, um, you know, Sunday they could score too. And, you know, if, if Giannis keeps playing, the way that he's been playing, it's going to be an all-time great series for him. And he's definitely on the road to at least an MVP if if the Bucks win. So, yeah, I, I'm, I want to see how, you know, I said it's going to be a pivotal game, of course, in, uh, coming up on Wednesday game four. You know, how is Booker going to respond? How are some of how are the Suns, you know, rotation players going to respond? And uh, you know how again? How is Milwaukee going to deal with their success? How uh, are they going to you know uh, keep pushing, keep pushing, and keep uh, the pedal down, or they're going to you know let up? You know, we'll, you know. I, I think the great thing about Milwaukee is that they have a you know they have the energy about them at home that's kept up by the crowd and stuff. So you know that's going to be at least get them in the door. But it seemed like uh, you know. I saw, you know, looking at some clips and stuff that they were in game three, they were almost a little bit too charged of coming in at the beginning of game three. But, uh, it, you know, they sort of shook it off, though, especially Giannis, because that I, I didn't, I was sort of moving around at the beginning of, of the game yesterday and I didn't keep it, but he had, he had to sit down early in, in the first quarter. You, you remember that, Drew? Yeah, yeah. I just remember. I don't know if we ever confirmed it or if anybody ever confirmed it, but just looking at him, it was like he had to kind of just settle himself down. Yeah. Um, like, he was, like he was breathing hard, then he got up and kind of walked to the tunnel, walked back and forth, had to kind of calm himself down, which speaks to the gravity of the moment in the first, you know, finals in that city since the 70s. So, yeah. you know, um, it's a big moment, and he's, he's living up to it. Um, on a side note, anybody that you know, wants to criticize these playoffs or these finals and, you know, wishes we had LeBron or Durant or Steph Curry in it. Just look at how many narratives have changed in these playoffs from Trey Young to Luka Doncic to Paul George to Giannis. Like, if there's anything to measure how spectacular this, these playoffs have been, I think that's definitely the direction that people can look to. Yeah, that was just... I, I saw the stupid tweet, and I, I usually got love for the for the Dan Levitard's crew and stuff. But anyway, you never know too when they just be a snarky. But they, they had like a poll asking it's the worst finals ever. I'm like, come on, man. You you if you was to ask that really, that you have no memory, because <laughs> you don't. I mean, 
There's those seven is <laughs> that really that uh, as exciting as it wound up being towards the end, that uh Spurs uh Pistons one wasn't wasn't that great. I mean that, I could rule really up a bunch. The the both of the ones where the Nets played the uh, Lakers weren't yeah. weren't nothing because they weren't competitive. They mm-hmm. they were, I mean, there's a lot of fighters with with just they were there's basically no competition involved. The one uh, a couple of years ago, I mean, yeah, the, like the last two Cleveland Golden State ones were, were whack. Yeah. Like, like, I think Cleveland won like one game combined in those years, like two years. Like, so it's like, come on, man. Just, if you want to be a star effort, just say you a star effort. Just say <laughs> that you don't care about the game, man. That's all you say. Mm-hmm. But, uh, or if you, or if you be in a homer, like, they probably mad because Miami got beat by the Bucks and stuff, and they couldn't get around the Bucks this year. So, I mean, I, I I could see that, but you know, yeah, this this is far from the worst finals that there's ever going to be. Yeah, that's that's true. I mean, and and if you're a real sports fan and a real NBA fan, you should be happy about the fact that this new this new blood and this new young generational blood is taking over the reins. Like, mm-hmm. we got to appreciate LeBron. We appreciate Kevin Durant. We appreciate the Steph Currys. We appreciate those players and those teams that were that were in their primes really giving us the, you know, the ultimate finals we, we could ever ask for. But at the same time, you're talking about a Giannis that's on the rise. You're talking about a Devin Booker who's on the rise. You're talking about potential dynasties out of both these teams that are emerging in ways that, you know, for the longest is well, pretty much well overdue. And the fact that we're getting that now, and even then, still seeing the same type of quality products of dominance and, and, and in some cases, flair and, and, and things like that. So watching these skills come to life in the way, in the way that they are, if anything, it should be surpri- you should be very excited and happy of the fact that this is the direction the league is actually going into. So that was, was, yeah, we're actually seeing that direction now. Yeah. Like you know, at some point you gotta have that turnover, and it's you know LeBron is not gonna be going to finals for the next ten years. Uh, Durant isn't, you know, uh, and all these other guys. You know, we're seeing, and and Booker and John and particularly, they could be two of the stars who define the the NBA championship series for the next ten years. So yeah, that's what like you say, Josh. That's what should get you excited as a ball fan, as a, as a basketball, as a real love of basketball. That should be what gets you excited. And on top of that, you got the story with Chris Paul, you know, being an all-time great, trying to, you know, give him one more chance, give his best chance at, at getting the title. And, you know, there's all type of stuff out there. But, uh, you know, like I said, people just love to be snarky anyway. So you just got to ignore that stuff. I mean, if 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 COVID wasn't such a much of an issue, you know, imagine having NBA Finals in Phoenix. That's it's kind of warm, you know, kind of warm climate. You can do your thing down there in Phoenix, you know. So I I, I may not be mad at that. <laughs> no, nah, I wouldn't be mad at that either. Like I was bugging, like you know, we you know we had saw because um, we we were sharing stuff Saturday. Uh, from the Sky Games, so we're gonna get to that in a little bit. But you know, we was uh, you know sharing the pictures of all the the uh, the big time basketball writers and stuff that was uh, at the game and stuff. 
And that sort of threw me, even though like I'm plugged into all this stuff. I'm like, the hell are they all doing? <laughs> like, but that see, part of that is is it's unfortunately is just the distance between when Chicago was last in the center of the basketball universe and everything. Like, what is I was like, you you at back in the nineties, we was used to there a lot be, being a lot of tension at the end of the basketball year in this area. But now we got to just we gotta live vicariously through the folks ninety, you know, ninety miles away. And and unfortunately they still gotta come down here and play. People gotta still <laughs> He would go to Milwaukee to cover the game, but they want to come down to Chicago and play when they don't have to be in Milwaukee. That tells you something to them. But I, though I love Milwaukee. But what's, <laughs> I love shout out to Milwaukee, man. It's a smaller Chicago. It's, that's what it is in the end. But but yeah. Uh, but you know, that, it's, it's, it was just funny to me noticing that, like, you know. Because, you know. Well, y'all got to be, <laughs> take yourself off mute, man, and say something. I don't know what y'all doing. Yeah, I thought you were going to say something, Drew. Um, <laughs> I thought you said, but anyway, yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of shocked. I, I was kind of shocked by that, too. But even, but I think what stood out to me the most was the fact that I don't, I can't recall that legendary list of basketball writers being at a WNBA game setting at one at, at one time either. Like obviously they come to, they come to cover the Bucks, you know, and they want to come to Chicago to play, but they're coming to Chicago Sky Games, you know, to see the talent that's here and, and, and support the WNBA. I don't know if that if I've seen that type of headline before. Um and that's even that and even if I end if that was the case, that's still very impressive to see that, yeah, these are NBA writers and writers that cover that one of the biggest basketball, biggest professional leagues in the world, but they actually care enough to take the time to sit courtside at WNBA games to show support for the WNBA players and the women's side of basketball. I think that's something that's um, that's like an undertone message aside of what we're talking about. That, that you know, which yeah, crazy in it too. We yeah, we said on the show before about how the players themselves in the NBA appreciate the WNBA. Yeah, and, you know that can extend to people who cover the league as well. You know, us us included, and um, you know it just it just it makes it all the more, you know, uh, it, it under it just undercuts everything all the more when you have people who have no skills or no appreciation for the game who just are pigs, you know, sitting on a recliner saying, you know, this in the women's game. When they haven't never crossed anybody over in their life, you know, what I mean? so, so it's like you know, you know, what do you to speak on anybody's game? You know, so that's usually like say, those are usually the people who are most loudest and boisterous about you know trying to diss the the women's game, you know. But it, it shows too, I think how how you know how crucial the the move was that the you know that the sky was able to get Candace in the offseason stuff. Because, again, she's a star. She's a crossover star. And those writers know her and appreciate her as a singular force. I think it'll be more – you know, if she wasn't in that involved in that game, if she was still with the Sparks or something, maybe they would be there still. But it was it sort of 
enhanced that possibility that you would have her there, that you would have the sort of crowd overall there that you had, even though there were other things in, involved in that as well. But it, like I say, just the, the profile overall of the sky, you know, we knew at, at the time of the sun that it was going to be enhanced by Candace being on the team and it's played out that way. You know, uh, the record hasn't necessarily been uh, all that they wanted it to be, but, you know, they're still at 500 right now, 10 and 10 going into their break. And, uh, you know, they, uh, you know, like I say, play the, uh, let's just finish up this talk on them before we go back into the NBA stuff. But, you know, they played a pretty, uh, pretty cool game. I would say just all competitively, uh, you know, all things considered, on Saturday against Washington, uh, try to get the score, but it went to overtime, and um, they, uh, they, the Scott made a nice run towards the end to actually take a lead that uh, Washington had. It looks like Washington was gonna, you know, was in a good position to win that game, and but uh, you know, Scott came back, surged back at the end and took the lead, but then they had like at the very end. Uh, a sh- uh, shot at, shot was taken. I forget made the shot from outside, but uh, it was an air ball fell right to Tina Charles, who had an amazing game on Saturday, and she put it back up like just before uh, the buzzer at the end of, of regulation and tied the game up, and then went to overtime. And um, in the overtime, uh, Mystics pretty much you know handled things from there. And uh, it was 89-85, frankly. But, uh, yeah, it was a, a, it was like a big crowd there. They had like a – primarily they had a, a an AAU tournament, the girls' basketball AAU tournament that was at uh, McCormick Place, which, uh, you know, as we all know, is right – is in the same complex as uh, Wintrust Arena. So, you know, I, and I – like, uh, I, you know, that, set, that day I was doing some running around – and I drove by like about a half hour before the game. Uh, and we found out, I found out texting them on our chain that Chris was going to the game. Uh, and, you know, I was like, man, I kind of wanted to dip in too, you know, seeing all this energy when, uh, you know, driving down King Drive through uh, McCormick Place. And uh, like I said, a lot of people was heading to the arena and it wound up being like 8,000 people there. And uh, you know about a ten thousand seat arena, which Wintrust Arena is. So, the, you know, I say all that to say that it was the type of energy. <clears throat> and I've seen some people. I saw some people posted later on Twitter. It's like there was the type of energy that you really would like to see be a permanent fixture at these games, at WNBA games. That the kind of energy and and crowd support that they really deserve. And like you know, I think I guess. The main variable was the was the AAU tournament because you have a bunch of women and young ladies who were there who were into basketball. So naturally, they went to the game. You're not going to have that every at every uh, Sky game or every uh, WNBA game across the country. But you know that type of rallying thing. You know I don't know how they could uh, you know uh, you know do that more for more games across the country, but it'll be worth looking into because I think we, we, you, there's an energy and there's a potential energy and that is there for the league that could really be shown more. Cause 
it, even with all the the increased coverage that the league has gotten and everything and the uh you know the nice plaudits and stuff in the in the media for them being on uh the right side of history the right side of social progress and everything it's still too many times you see those crowds and games it's like you know third of the of the arena quarter and it's like man these these ladies you know they they deserve crowds more like what we see at you know in milwaukee or in in uh, phoenix right now these really energetic in crowds that are really into the game you know so you know hopefully hopefully that could be the case at some point going forward where at least they could fill up their their stadiums they they don't all play necessarily in the same stadiums as their pro counterparts as their male counterparts i should say but the you know their smaller stadiums that they're playing in, like, you know, uh, Wintrust compared to the UC, you know, let's see them fill these up and, and really have an engaged and energized audience that uh, really uh, makes them, I think we have that sort of thing and enhances the play. I think players react to that stuff and it makes them uh, do more in, in, what they, in, in what they do on the court. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, man. I, I I feel like it's you know the the WNBA is growing and and by all accounts it's it's moving in that direction. Maybe you know at a snail's pace. Um, but I wonder too. You know, you brought up them playing the Mystics and uh, you know the coincidence of having the AAU tournament right at McCormick Place. I wonder when when the Storm come to town or the Aces come to town. You see that building get filled up a little bit more just because of the competition and kind of like yeah. those, those are the two teams that uh, the sky are gonna have to tangle with, you know, if, if they're gonna do what the franchise have been looking to do since they, you know, came to be. Definitely, it could help. It, it could help definitely because you got star power on each of those teams, you know. But I wonder how much is it going to expand past the real diehards, like, mm. you know, the people who are really into the league, you know, or, or make an effort, you know. And, and that's, you know, definitely you want to uh, to hold that all, part of the audience down and, uh, you know, and, and provide for them. But see, the thing, you know, the NBA, of course, year after year they get thousands of people in in every arena each year who don't really give a damn about the game they're there to be seen mm-hmm. you know that's the point that you want to get to you know on a financial level if you're WNBA because that means more money more revenue for you and but that largely comes from being active and inventive in the way that you market your players mm-hmm. you know NBA players are marketed in many different ways as you know they're marketed as uh, you know leaders of social movements as well, but they're they're marketed as stars. They're marketed as fashion icons. They're marketed as you know uh, actors and whatnot and rappers and all these things. So that's the type of you know we we got to see more of these facets of these women who are playing the WNBA and and who they are and, and, and make them into those same type of stars, multifaceted stars, when people want to go see night in and night out for whatever reason, too. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, they, they've got three All-Stars on that team. You know, you think about it, the Bulls have three All-Stars. <laughs> what type of attention um, mm-hmm. getting over there on the west side? So, I mean, right. I, I, 
I don't know what their uh, PR department needs to do. It's not throwing any shots at them at all. But, you know, I, I wonder, like you said, what can be done to try to help uh, accelerate the growth of the game and just uh, the sky's notoriety in town. You know, as you spoke to earlier, a lot of that um, has to do with Candace Parker. Mm-hmm. How much longer is she going to be in Chicago? How much longer, how many more years does she have to play? What's going to happen when she, you know, decides to hang it up? Yeah. So. And we, and we talked about that at the beginning of the year, like we was previewing the season, like the, the, the Parker impact, you know, and you know, Josh has written about it and stuff. And, you know, I think in particular, if the bull, if uh, the bull, the sky win, you know something with her here, you know Chicago is a place that could be ripe for uh, and being a stronghold in the WNBA. You know, for one reason because we love basketball here, but two because I was thinking, I was thinking about this earlier. We have a lot of front runners here, and <laughs> and uh, you know when a team wins. You know, you you get to see, you see, like I said, a lot more people rocking their gear and stuff. No matter how much they followed them beforehand, like like when the Hawks was winning, there's a lot more brothers in, in hockey gear <laughs> when the Hawks were winning. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know that's and and and, I, and you know, to bring it back to the NBA, oh, and, and, and this is something I want to get into too, because I saw again, you know. A, a, Shout out to this brother, man. I, I mean no harm, but last chance all up in the Milwaukee game, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, bro, man, you Chicago all the way until Milwaukee gets in the finals. Huh? <laughs> and I I, it's about exposure, man. I guess it's about exposure. It's yeah, yeah, it's all about exposure, man. So, and and. It's, but I'm saying he wouldn't be the only one. Though. Let the Bucks win this series. See how much more Bucks gear gonna be rocked in Chicago. <laughs> you wanna see it? And and you know that, that's just how it is, you know. But you know we we you know we love a winner. If if we can get grab our hands on the winner here, we we do it no matter how far they are, you know. And uh, but obviously going back to the sky, I think yeah, if they if they bring some type of of really neg- uh, you know, neg- uh, neg- negligible honor to the city, to the city, and really something that we could grab onto. Yeah, I think they could definitely become like one of the places that the WNBA is known for. And you know, I don't know how much of an effect that have on the league as a whole, but you know, it could be it could be big. It could make a difference. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And, and obviously, we talked about how the Candace Parker effect can really uh, speed that process up. Um, but I also think just from talking about exposing exposing the game, especially when you talk about two young women um, like that, why, I, I, I always wondered, you know, in AAU season, you know, you have teams that have sponsors and things of that sort to help pay for the jerseys, the tournament fees, travel fees, depending on the type of level your sponsorship is with the team, right? Mm-hmm. Why why can't we utilize some of those same perks and connect it with the WNBA? So if you were to travel to a city and, they, and that team, that home team that you're playing in, that city that you're playing in has a game, y'all can go to that. You know, they should yeah, organize, that, yeah. they organize those things. So that way you can help increase the exposure um, while they're starting out young and showing them, like, yo, this is, like, a real thing. 
you know? Um, and that's good, yeah, that's good though. Like, especially if you're just talking about kids and even college students. I mean, I remember when I was in college, even though the Bulls were trash, we still had something where, you know, you can get a, you can get a student discount with the Bulls, to get Bulls tickets at my school, depending on mm-hmm. what it was. Like, why can't they work with, I, 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 I don't that's know. The best, that's, it, that's the best time to get those right. discounts on Bulls games. And you might, like say, your school or your job, mate, they, you know, a lot of jobs offer stuff like that. that right. You know, I'm, yeah, that, that's, but when they suck, that's the best time to get them. When they good, <laughs> they good, they get stingy because they because they like they good. There's a there's a supply and demand thing working there. But when they suck, they they trying hard as they can to get them tickets off. Yeah, yeah, that that that's true. That's true. I just wish that we could utilize some of those concepts to those WNBA players, so that way they they oh, yeah. you know they can get that type of exposure as well because you know they deserve it and. AAU doesn't just go for guys. It's women AAU, team, AAU teams as well. And for them to play at the rates and levels that they do, especially they hosting tournaments like at McCormick Place or, um, or like, you know, these, these other type of, of places that they're, that they're playing in now, whether it's the attack center or something like that. Like, if they're in the city, you might as well just, you know, give them that exposure. They're right in the heart of downtown, especially if they're playing at Winchester Arena. You're in the heart of downtown. You get exposure to the city. Like Chicago has a lot to offer with some with those things, and you combine yeah. that with the AAU teams that are coming down here every week, every week or every weekend. Why not? That why not tap into that? Why not tap into those resources? With, especially if you're willing to have sponsors that are willing to work with those AAU teams and be that and bridge that gap. And you take I, I, I would take, I would take advantage of that advantage of that in a heartbeat. So I don't I don't know how else they can do it outside of that realm, maybe. But I'm just thinking in my mind from a player's perspective, an AAU perspective, and going through the AAU circuit, you know, um, playing in these different t- cities here and there and all these different tournaments. Like, if, if the WBA have teams in those areas and these tournaments are at least close enough to these arenas, why not? Why not give them the access and the ability to go to those games uh, through, through, the, through the sponsors or the teams that, or, you know, or at least offer them a decent package, whatever the case may be. So that way it can be a potential, um, you know, a viable option for people to want to tend to, especially if they're traveling out of state. Or you could have, yeah, you got like a, a sort of a thing too where the players sort of visit those tournaments during the yeah. day and, you know, interact and stuff. Like, yeah, for a lot for the WNBA, I would think more so than the NBA because the NBA is such an established destination, mm-hmm. you know, the WBA needs to feed more to uh, the power that it has as a destination for women who are young women who are, who are getting into sports, you know, at, at an early age. And, uh, you know, I think for a lot of, a lot of girls, they, 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 it already is there for them. You know, you could look at a girl like, like the girl who uh, avant-garde who won the, the spelling bee, you know, she, she say she want to go in the WBA, even though she's a, she cold too. Yeah, the world is her oyster. You know, she she got a lot of options, but she she want to get in the WNBA too. She go hoop. So, mm-hmm. but so you know, you take advantage of stuff like that. You know, you, you gotta. That's how you gotta you know, play yourself as a as a mark as an organization, marketing and promotion and stuff. But uh, you know, just but I think as like I say as a purposeful organization, you know, being that sort of guiding light for young women athletes is. Is a uh, you know that's a, a good way to go, and uh, I think that's where the future of the WNBA really 
you know, really holds itself. Yeah, even the merchandising, man, like the new um, Nike jerseys that came out, the, the you know, everybody was pining over those orange WNBA, uh, WNBA hoodies, the WNBA socks. Like, there's a there's a market for, or there's a um a strong need for these things, a desire to, to get these things, but I don't know how readily available these things are. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, it's, 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 I think yeah, a lot of stuff that got sold out pretty quick. Yeah, yeah that's who. That's yeah, but yeah, that's you know, they, I guess that's stuff you you over time you learn. You know, you supply more. Yeah. You know, Nike ain't running out of no supply. They really, they they just gotta produce them. True. So True. yeah. It's it's getting there. The, the promotion is getting there. You see the the Nike ads on TV and uh, and whatnot. I'm I'm waiting to see. Like, I know uh, Maya Moore was with with Jordan Brand. She might still be, but just more. Yeah, she's involved in that. Yeah. yeah, just just actually, we just we spoke about that a couple. Was it a couple oh, weeks ago? Yeah, yeah, when they they unveiled the that picture, Jordan was with the. Uh, yes, sir. It was like eleven players. So probably was like ten active players in my more. Mm-hmm. So that that's goes to goes to that to that route too. Speaking of just you know mm-hmm. having having an outlet like young girls seeing like man you, you know my 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 idol's got a shoe deal. She's playing in WNBA. You know what I mean? Like it's just certain things that for a long time were only reserved for the guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Now much more space is being made available for uh, our female athletes. Yeah. And, and in the case of Moore's, you know, she you know, was a, a great player, you know, potentially all-time great player, but she didn't p- betray who she – she didn't betray her, her uh, you know, uh, desires outside the court, you know, her, her passion outside the court too. And, she, and she's being rewarded for that too, being you know, held up for that, you know. You know, shout out to her. You know, she was awarded at the uh, at the ESPYS on Saturday, and she gave a, a, a you know very uh, a emotional speech there. You know, and I think they got like a thirty for thirty about her and her uh, documentary about her and her uh, efforts to free her now husband from prison. That's going to be coming out tomorrow, mm. so uh, that's uh, definitely worth checking out. And um, you know, I, I want to shout. I just want to shout her out and shout out uh, uh, Paige Beckers from UConn too for uh, using her platform at the awards to say, uh, you know, let's let's big up the black sisters. You know, the black, the you know, the black women who are powering college basketball and, and WNBA as well. You know, that's something that a person in her position didn't have to, don't have to do, and many don't. But she, she, you know, definitely uh, say, I'm I'm a willing allies so you know given what we was talking about last week with allyship you know it's it's something we can't necessarily take for granted so true very true yeah so oh yeah i'm trying to see man i don't know what's uh <laughs> uh like i said about our, our possibles tonight as i meant to change our titles and stuff for our show tonight but you know that's how it is sometimes with these shows you know, I've definitely been there and before, but uh, definitely I'm glad to talk with you guys again for another show here. Uh, we may wrap up <laughs> within the next 15 minutes, given our change of plans. But uh, I'm fine with that, too, because I got to transition over to our next show. 
coming up at eight o'clock. Uh, uh, me and Dave Evans got Sky Zoo on uh, for uh, in the building. Oh, and just as I say that, <laughs> our guest does come on. <laughs> I guess it's gonna be so we we will be coming we will, we will be going past, uh going past seven thirty a little at least a little bit but uh oh we're glad to have though uh Mr A Sharad Blakely on the show with us tonight a veteran NBA writer uh maybe the only NBA writer who wasn't in Chicago on Saturday night. <laughs> but uh, yeah, definitely a uh, contributor to Bleacher Report, uh, Ebony Magazine, and many others, and a uh, contributor, uh, longtime writer for in Boston. Knows uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about Boston too. I have a couple of Boston questions for you, but uh, definitely glad to have you on first time uh, running with us here on Running with War. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good, Sharon. I'm, I'm just, uh, like I said, I've been wanting to have you on for a while. So I'm, I'm glad to have you on. Glad to talk, uh, check back with you and see that you're doing well. I am. I am. I'm doing very well. Not. I'm, I'm doing better than USA, Team USA. But, you know, <laughs> that's another story. Another story. <laughs> well, let's, start, let's start with that then. We haven't gotten into that much uh, at this point. What was your reaction to... Uh, to that, do you think that the guys are in trouble? Well, well, yeah, I mean, the first off, shout out to the motherland for getting that yeah. W. I mean, I, after the game, I, I love the fact that you know the players obviously from Nigeria were excited about the win. But when you see like you know Bam out of bio, first thing he's doing is grabbing a couple of the guys from Nigeria and getting that photo op. Mm. That's love, man. I, I love to see that. But that being said. I think it was a wake-up call for, for Team USA. I mean, that's really what these exhibition games are supposed to be about. They're supposed to be a tune-up. Now, for Team USA, it's a wake-up call. For Nigeria, I think it's it's an, it's an awakening as to how good they could potentially be. And that, as you guys know, confidence is half the game of success. Uh, feeling that you can do something often leads to you being able to do it. And Nigeria, you know, I mean, they're going to head over to Tokyo. And listen, I mean, they, they're going to be popping the collars. They're thinking, like, look. You you may not know who we are before the game, but you you probably don't know who we are when all said and done. Different level of confidence that they're walking into the building with. And if you're Team USA, you know, you've been living kind of fat and happy for the longest time in the Olympics. So you needed a, a smack in the face to kind of just set yourself right that, oh, we got to play, we got a ball. Now, obviously, the loss is not what you want. It's not what you hope for. But considering you only were rocking with each other for like four or five days, it's yeah. not like you can just roll out there and beat teams. So I think once they get in, get to Tokyo, they're only going to get better and better as the games go on because they'll be, become more familiar. They'll develop chemistry, continuity, and do you know what we fully expect them to do, which is come back with that goal. Yeah. Still a couple of guys who are in the finals as well, so – yeah, they, they, their whole roster isn't they, – they they don't have everything figured out yet. And, and like you say, Nigeria has NBA talent. They have more NBA talent than they've ever had. They got, you know, a couple of those guys I think that Bam was uh, taking pictures with at the end of the game played with him on the heat. So it's like, you know, yeah, he was showing love. And, and he probably was thinking, too, maybe I should have been on the Nigeria. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Real talk. Real talk, Bam. Like, I'm gonna drop like 30 or 15 if I got the ball with yeah. them. I might get 10 with Team USA, maybe 12 on a good game. Yeah, and, and, and to that to that end, I, I was watching them today. They they beat uh, 
Argentina pretty well this afternoon, and Okafor had 15 points. So, like, if Okafor could score 15, you know Bam could get 30 on that, you know, on a given day there. So, you know, shout out to Jado. I'm glad that Jado got some playing time because he didn't get any time against USA. I don't. I guess maybe it was the matchup thing or something else. Yeah, um, you, you never know about that type of stuff. But like, whenever the Olympics stuff rolls around, it really does become more of a matchups game. And there are very few players that are so good that you know they're going to play major minutes, whoever the opponent is, uh, because the talent on every roster is so deep. Uh, it's just like a, a an all star team on steroids for every country. You just never know who's going to be that that one guy that matches up really well with a particular country. Who you're going to roll with a little bit longer than someone else? Yeah, I mean, I think in you know. Speaking to that, you, you can't just – we've seen the days go by where you can't just roll the ball out and expect Team USA to just whoop up on their opponent. Like, those days are gone, even though they beat – I think they had beaten Nigeria by 40 and 50 points the last mm -hmm. couple of times they met them. But, uh, you know, as you said, these guys are just getting together. The whole group is not there. The continuity is still being figured out. Nigeria has some guys on that squad. They've got an NBA assistant coach, former head coach on that, on that bench. So – you know, we'll see where it, what can happen. They, they still don't have, you know, a ton of defense on that team outside of Draymond and Drew Holiday when he gets there. But like you said, it's a good wake-up call for them. We'll see what they do moving forward. Hey, Sherrod, I want to ask you right quick, uh, sort of getting to the Boston section of the conversation. Like, you know, what, what do you think about Tatum and his possibility to – Establish himself on the uh, international level this summer. I've, I've seen some reports about him. Uh, you know, Boston is, has gone under its re, you know, reconstruction in the front office and the coaching now. And, you know, uh, uh, they, they got uh, Nia Long as the first lady up there now and everything. I'm, sure I'm so glad somebody brought her in the conversation besides me. Because whenever I talk about the Celtics coaching situation and the changes they've made, I I don't know how it happens, but somehow Nia Long just always find a way into the conversation. I don't know how. I, I, I would imagine, yeah. I mean, I don't know how you could not be excited about that. You have to. Oh, I'm, listen, I'm, listen any time we, and when I say we, I'm, I'm talking about people of color get opportunities to be in positions of leadership. That excites me because I know that that is not something that happens every day. Now, the Celtics, they've been a little bit different than a lot of NBA teams in that regard because they do have a track record, a, a good one, when it comes to having – Blacks in positions of, of leadership as far as head coaches. In fact, they were the first NBA team to have a black head coach. And I think uh, Ime is, I think he's number six. Uh, and they've had 18 head coaches. So a third of the head coaches that you've had in your franchise have been black, which if, we, if you start looking around the NBA and percentage wise, it's not even close, really. The Celtics are, are right there at, if not, they're at the top. They're damn near close to the top when that happens. But I, I'm excited about the fact that this team needed a shakeup. They, they, needed to, they needed some new blood, whether it's the GM, whether it's coach or both, but they needed to do something to, to shake things up. And as far as Tatum is concerned, you, me, Popovich, it doesn't matter who the coach is. Tatum going to go out there and get you buckets. Uh, he's that good. Uh, he is the closest thing the NBA has to Kevin Durant 2.0 as there is. But the difference between him and Kevin Durant, I think Kevin Durant is a better scorer. Tatum is a better shooter. Uh, and I think Tatum has a little bit more dribble drive to his game than Durant. Durant relies so much more. And people don't sleep on this. Kevin is seven feet tall. And like an, a high IQ basketball player, he uses that length to his advantage. Tatum is legit 6'9", 
wingspan is about maybe 6'10", 6'11". He doesn't have Kevin Durant length, but he attacks you like a ultra-quick elite point guard. His ability to get beat you off the drive and his ability to, sh- to score and shoot. He's going to be a perennial all-star. He will be a Hall of Famer one day. Uh, and people thought I was a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when I was saying this when he was a rookie. But, you know, I don't tap myself on the back too many times. But that one, yeah, I felt very good about calling that one. I, you should. I, 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 you should. Because he, he, he's he's really been impressive at times. And he was really impressive even in at the beginning of this postseason. He just didn't have any help, you know. So, yeah. I'm really, I'm really gonna be interested to see how he does in Tokyo and what type of, uh, you know, uh, performances he may be able to show in that uh, amongst that roster. That speaking of that roster and that All Star, you know, sort of roster, uh, uh, you know, element that's gonna be around him. Is there pressure or any other type of whispers that are going on in Boston regarding him sort of bringing in another player from? From this roster, because in Chicago we 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 have we hope against hope that that Zach Levine is going to be able to draw somebody here in the next year or so. I don't think it's going to happen necessarily. Not to not to some people be saying like, oh, he's going to bring about three four players. I'm like, where are they going to get the money to pay these players from? For one, and, you know, I, I don't know. But is 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 are those type of discussions happening in Boston in regards to Tatum? Because because you guys are like. As far as Boston goes, the Celtics go, like, you know, I'm sure there has to be a lot of pressure in regards to the way that things looked a couple years ago and the way that they look now. It's like, you know, where are these rings that we, we're supposed to have some more rings here? You yeah, know, you're supposed to have a ring in the garden, you know? Yeah, yeah. And folks folks around looking like DeAndre Jordan did a few years ago with that commercial, like, someone stole my rings. And then people like, <laughs> you ain't got no rings. That's kind of Celtics are kind of. You know, when you look at the guys they have had over the last three or four years, uh, weird injuries and illnesses and sicknesses, and like pretty much everything that could go wrong to derail your championship hopes happened to the Boston Celtics. And it's a reminder that there's so many things that go into winning a championship besides just having good players. You need to be healthy. You need to get some breaks that you have no control over. And you need to have at least one or two guys that kind of emerge to me, I, I call them, you know, the, you know, the, the fellas from the from the clay crew, guys that come out the earth that you don't see really being all that. But then when they emerge, you're like, damn, he is kind of all that. Uh, Tatum, I think part of his responsibility over there with the Olympic team is to gauge the interest of a Bradley Bill and coming to Boston to see if if some of the other guys that he's familiar with are interested in coming to Boston and vice versa. Because the way things ended with the Celtics this season, it left a a sour taste in the mouths of a lot of people. And when you look at Jason Tatum, the fact that he was able to get you like 27 and seven, you know, having dealt with COVID to the point where brother needed a, a, you know, an an inhaler at times on the sideline, just to, you know, just to be able to function and do what he needed to do. When you have that type of season and you immediately go towards more basketball playing, with the Olympic team, everyone is like, "Okay, this is cool. If you can bring so, if you can bring a body back with you, it's cool for you to hang out with the fellas and drop your twenty or whatever. But bring a body back to Boston when, when you're done, because that, for I think the average fan, will make this feel like a worthwhile endeavor. And obviously, you know, you've got all the, you know, the the talk of representing your country and how awesome that is and all that. Okay, that's fine and dandy. But you got this thing called your job and 
you didn't do as well. You did a great job individually, but the team didn't do as well. And so that to me is where, you know, Tatum being part of the Olympic crew, you know, people are kind of torn about that because they like the fact that he's out there in opportunity, but they wish he would would rest a little bit more so that he can be fresher for the start of next season. But if him being with that Olympic team means you got you get a better shot at bringing in a Bradley Beal or or, you know, any of those elite players on that team, then it becomes so worth it to be out there balling on, the, on that global stage. Yeah. I, I, I was just thinking, too, about him and Bill, you know, being from St. Louis and stuff. Yeah, and he used to be his babysitter. Yeah, yeah, I mean, right. Yeah. Tatum's babysitter. I mean, Tatum's mom and, and, and Bradley's mom are like, like that. So you know that if Bradley is having just the slightest inkling of saying that, I want to come to Boston. It's going to get done. It's going to get done because when your franchise player has one of his homies from way back in the day who want to who want to join forces and, and his homie is nice, yeah. you, better, you better figure out a way to make that happen. If, 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 that's, what, if that's what Bradley wants, because that's really what all this comes down to. It's not what Tatum wants. It's not what the Celtics want. Bradley Beal is going to be the one that dictates for Bradley Beal to go somewhere. He's earned the right to do that. He's got a contract that obviously is like most max player contracts. It's a huge chunk that you got to navigate it and negotiate to get a deal done. But if he wants to come to Boston, they'll find a way. I mean, look at James Harden. He talked his way out of Houston, and Houston had nothing in the clip when they moved him. And they still got something in return. So, Right. You know, it's not impossible. Right. No, no, it's not. What, what I want to know, though, is why, why they both got sons named Deuce. Is that a St. Louis thing? Look, man. Oh, I know. I know. Tatum's uh, son is is just he's just Jason Tatum Jr. And maybe maybe that's a St. Louis thing that if you name your son after you, his nickname is Deuce, so that everybody will know that. Oh, yeah, that's that's Deuce. That's that's Deuce, Daddy up there, boy. Okay. 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 That could be. I never thought about that, but that but I'm thinking as as we're like like kind of spitballing this on on the fly. I'm thinking that maybe have something to do with that. The fact that that's a St. Louis thing when you just name your son's Deuce. And so, anybody from St. Louis, feel free to, to let us know. <laughs> so, so in, in this, in this, these schemes of, of Tatum trying to lure Bradley Beal or a Damian Lillard to, to Boston, where does, where does um, Jalen Brown fit in? Because it was a point in the season where he almost looked like he was, he was hooping a little bit better than Tatum, if you want to take it to comparison's sake. It wasn't even like a, a, a it was he was hooping yeah. better. Tatum. <laughs> I saw from my own eyes. He was that good. His ability to score off the drive, hit the mid-range, hit the three-point shot, defend, rebound. He was he became that dude. Uh when I was telling y'all earlier about you know cats come up through the clay, he was that come up to the clay cat. Ball it like no one expected him to. And again, he was a number three pick. So you would think he would be a really good player. But, I mean, this is the same brother that got booed by Celtics fans when he got drafted. Same cat that people have been talking about being on the trade block for years. Not months, years. And all he does every year is get better than he was the year before. All he does is show up and eventually show out night in and night out. Listen, Jalen Brown is a real one. Uh, And we need to talk about the stuff he's doing off the court as far as social justice and things of that nature. Jalen Brown is as real as they get. And that's he's one of those guys that if you want Bradley Beal, if you want Dame Lillard, I know you're not going to give up Tatum. You got to give me Jalen. We're not having a conversation about any of my cats unless he coming over here. 
And 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 the Celtics, I think they realize this, which is why they're not all that eager to move to make a deal for like a, a Bradley Bill or a Damon Lillard because they don't they realize that they're dealing with a, they got a 23, 24 year old all star who is on paper your second best player. Yeah, I mean, you got two cats, both under 25, both all stars, both signed to long term contracts, and people talk about maybe we should trade one of them. Yeah, see that's and that's that's add up to me. That's that's what my you know from from a Chicago perspective, not with any horse in the Boston race. Looking at Tatum and Brown, I kind of see them. Forgive the reference. I, I see them as a no baggage younger version of what Kawhi and Paul George could have been had they yeah. been young when they when they when they teamed up together. And I see that it's a hard. That's a hard uh, pairing to part with. It is, and it's it's a hard pairing to, to nail. Uh, as far as like drafting guys that are that good that soon, uh, I, I like Zach Levine in Chicago. Now Zach to me was a little bit of a late bloomer, and by late bloomer I mean he didn't just explode in year one or two where you no. can just say Man, that brother's an all star. He was able to get buckets, but Zach wasn't defending nobody early on in his career. I mean he he I mean like a lot of young players, he had that 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 you know that that Olay defense. Like <laughs> here you go Olay, do what you do. It um, took him a couple of years while he was here. You know, he, he right. had the Minnesota. He, he's already had like a couple of identities in the league. He was right. first he was the slam dunk guy. Yeah. Now he had to become the 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 bad guy on a bad team. Right. And now he's the he's the the, the good guy on a bad team. I should say. Now he's the good guy on a somewhat bad team. And the thing, <laughs> so the thing I like about him, Zach know. is that he he's got he's at a point now where you have a general respect for his game like yeah. he's by own by no means is he a perfect player but you respect the game that you get out of him night in and out he look i mean he plays with effort defensively now he can make shots he's not a guy that's just dunking the ball he can splash that three ball in your grill he puts it on the floor and if you're not careful if he can go airborne on you and and, and put you on a poster you know and he's got a heart give you the sharpie before you hit the ground so you can sign that poster yeah. he's that Good, but he needs help. I mean, he needs yeah. help. And, I've, and I've, I've brought this up to the guys before. Like, only thing separating Devin Booker from Zach Levine at this point is Chris Paul and that roster. Like, I, I would I would love to see Zach Levine play with a better facilitating guard and and better three and D options um, at his disposal because I think mm-hmm. he could be what we see Devin Booker is, even though the games aren't quite um, the same. I think you get some of the same performances that you got from Booker. You would get from Levine. Yeah, and 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 Zach is a little bit bigger than Devin too. I, I think Zach is a better scorer than than Devin. Devin, I think, is a better shooter. Uh, and the thing about Devin is that man, when he releases, he got the crazy elevation on his shots. I mean, is he? And he already has like low key bounce that people be sleeping on. Zach, we. We know Zach got bounced. That, that's not even a, a discussion. Oh, but Devin's got low-key bounce, and I never really noticed it until like about halfway through his rookie season. And I look at, I saw him beat somebody off the dribble, and he just raised up. And I'm looking at the distance between the floor, his feet, and the ball still in his hand before he released. I'm thinking like, damn, he he got ups. And so, again, he's, a, he's another guy that when you put him in the right situation with the right personnel around, you get a guy that is a dominant, you know, MVP, NBA Finals MVP candidate right now. He's had a couple of bad games with the Suns, but the fact that the Suns are still there, uh, he's a big reason for that. 
And Zach, I, I mean, I, I think Zach with the right type of playmaker around him, Zach could be a special elite lead a team deep into the playoffs kind of guy because he's got the skills. It's just that the personnel around him doesn't really lend itself to a team that can make a deep playoff run, at least not right now. But And that's what, you know, fans and observers like us are hoping for in Chicago, that they get that playmaker in this in this offseason, you know, by hook or by crook. They get somebody who can steer this offense in a certain way and, and free up, uh, you know, uh, Free, free Zach up to just be that dominant scorer that we know he can be and free up, uh, you know, Vucevic in so many ways as well, too, you know, on the pick and roll or whatever. You know, we pick and pop because Vucevic can do that a lot, too. So yeah. there could be like, – that's the feeling generally in Chicago. We're a, a, a good point guard away from being a dangerous team. So Celtics say the same thing. Man, <laughs> if, we, if we just had like a real good general lead to play, like, you know, old school cat who just, you know, basically you want to, if you oh. had like a, like, like a Rondo like point guard, but not Rondo today, because Rondo today is still good, but he ain't that dude. No yeah. Nah. He, he, I mean, he, he still got some, some juice left in the tank, but it's looking mighty thin right now. Um, I would take him as a backup in a heartbeat, but as my lead guy, as my, my number one, nah, I'm good. That'd be kind of cool if he finished this career back with y'all, actually. Or, or if he finished it with us. Cause I was going to say. He should have he he helped us beat Boston that listen, one day. Listen, when Rondo, if it wasn't for Rondo suffering that broke, I think it was a hand or wrist, Chicago yeah. would have won that series. Chicago yeah. would have won that series because they were up to zip. With both wins coming in Boston, heading back to Chicago when Rondo got hurt, all yeah. they had to do is split one at the crib, be up three one, and then you got you got three shots at winning one game. They were going to win that series, but when Rondo went out, it was just like it's a wrap. Here comes a comeback. So I mean, Ron, listen, Rondo's Rondo's a hell of a player. He he's one of the more underrated playmakers of his generation. People think about the assists and all that stuff, and that's great. But the thing I love most about Rondo was when the lights were brightest. And you know what that is. That's the playoffs. When your nickname is Playoff Rondo, <laughs> not preseason, not pandemic, Paul, <laughs> but Playoff Rondo. Nobody questioned it either, yeah. No, no, why y'all call him Playoff Rondo. It was more like, oh, yeah, I see why y'all call him Playoff Rondo. Okay. Yeah. He shows right. up and fills out. Much respect to Rondo. Sherrod, do you think because it seems like uh, hiring point guards is, is the is the norm now? Do you think Rondo has a future as a coach? I hope so. I hope so. Because Rondo, here's the thing about him: Rondo is one of the most intelligent athletes I've ever covered, and, and I've covered major college basketball in the ACC. I've, I've covered, you know, obviously the NBA. Rondo is one of the most intelligent leaders I've ever been around, and it, what makes him special is that he recognizes what the game needs from him. And he recognizes what the game needs from those around him. And more times than not, he's going to put everyone in a position where they can be their best in the role that they serve best. And that, to me, translates well as a head coach because that's essentially what you're doing as a head coach. You're putting the pieces on the board where they need to be in order to win. You, I mean, you're not trying to just check everyone. You're trying to checkmate and win the game. Rondo has that ability. I'm looking forward to when he becomes a coach because whatever team he's coaching, I mean, they're going to be good. They're going to be well coached. They may not win as much as fans will want, 
but it won't be because of coaching. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm worried he's gonna be like a Scott Skiles though. He, he like he he'll turn every team around in two years, but that third year they're gonna be like, man, the hell with this dude. And that's kind of the thing with like Jason Kidd. Yeah, um, yeah. Because when you start looking at his trajectory as a coach, every team he's coached, they've won more games the year he his first year than they did the year before he arrived. But it's that second year where things get a little squirrely. You know, Jason Kidd, the Messiah, thinks that must takes that Messiah thing a little too far. And all of a sudden, you know, he starts walking around and he's he's like wobbling a little bit. And then you realize he's got that bobblehead mentality right now because he had a lot of success in that first year. So he's feeling himself. And next thing you know, the team struggles because his ego gets in the way. Uh, and and again, he's a great coach in that first year. If I had a bad team and I had a co- coaching opening, I'm trying to hire Jason Kidd for two years. He's going to want four, but I really want him to be there for two because in two years, he's going to turn things around where we're going to be a moderately competitive team. And then he's just going to start acting a fool. And mm-hmm. then I'm going to have to fire him. But I will have that foundation set. So that's to me, that that's that's the 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 back and forth you got you have to deal with as an as a front office exec when you bring Jason Kidd in the fold. Yeah, that Dallas is gonna be a team to watch again with with all that happening next year with uh you know kid becoming the man down there. But uh, yeah, but uh we we have to wrap up pretty soon, man. I got uh, another thing I got to do at the top of the hour. I'm really glad you came on uh, with us, Sharad. And uh, but I want to get you, you know before we wrap up, I want to get your thoughts, of course, on the the finals and everything. But before that, I want to I want to ask right quick: Were you at that game that Booker scored seventy? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was giving him the business, <laughs> business. And to me, it's funny seeing him and Jay Crowder as teammates because uh, Jay, yeah. was, Jay was so upset about that. I got a T-shirt around here. I can't find it right now, but it says. Was he, was he mostly scoring on Jay that night? What's that? Was he mostly scoring on Jay that night? He was scoring on the whole team. He was like, he was that dude at the, at the, at, at the checkout line where everyone is getting served. Come on through. <laughs> You got three eggs and, and, and a couple fruit. Yep, I got you. Come on. You got what? You got steak and some chicken. Yep, got you too. He had everyone kill it, just kill them. Now, the thing about Booker that I love was that I didn't realize how tough this dude is. Uh, he is a tough dude. I mean, he goes face to face with the league MVP, ready to ready to go, ready to go. And I'm thinking like, Jokic is not the dude you want to go with, and it's not because of him. It's because of the family. Jokic has legit – Jokic is about that life. Don't, don't, don't let the soft, pudgy frame fool you. He's about that life. And whatever yeah. he's not about that life, he got family who's always in the building who is. So yeah. the they have been through some wars for real. Yeah, like literally, yes. And then Booker, you know, take the headbutt from, 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 uh, from Patrick Beverly, got broken nose in three places. So what did he do? He keep balling. Much respect, and and he likes old school cars, old school like from the sixties and seventies, old school with his rides, old school with the way he plays games. Don't mind getting a little blood in, in his face and keep balling, ready to scrap with a guy who's a good six, seven, eight inches and about 50, 60 pounds heavier. Knowing that dude got family in the building, he don't care. Much respect to Devin Booker. But they they just they did nothing but pump Denver in that series. That. The the sons of four guy uh, on the court off the court they was they were just punking Denver every which way. 
Yo, I, I, and as someone who was in Detroit at Malice at the Palace, I don't condone anybody fighting in the stands. But if I'm a fan and my team just won and you coming at me and you try to sucker punch me, oh, hell yeah. Sells it for. Ain't got my ass whip. Hell Absolutely. I was, that was one of the few times I've ever been like, okay, this is all right. I don't like seeing fighting between in, among fans, but that was the exception to the rule. And the fact that Devin Booker was the first player on the Suns team trying to find out who that dude. Yeah, I got yeah, tickets man. for you, bro. I got tickets for you next game. I got your Suns in four. That's yeah, a real no problem. Yeah, no problem uh, co-signing that. Behavior. Exactly. Devin is a real one. Much respect. Much respect. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about the series though so far? Uh, you know, Suns and six. I I wrote about this a few months ago about Phoenix as being a team. They may be more ready. uh, I wrote about this for Bleach Report. They may be more ready to win a championship than people are giving them credit for. And I wrote the story thinking like, yeah, you know, it it, it may happen. Uh, But I I talked with the GM, James Jones, at at the time. And he was – I asked him flat out, like, you know, are you guys ready to win a chip like now? And he went through some of the things that have to happen in order for that to happen. But – there was a confidence that he was speaking to me with that I was thinking like, damn, either this brother is like selling this stuff real, real good, or he's like feeling this <laughs> and watching them play. Yo, they feeling it. And the fact that you got, you know, black manager GM, who by the way was executive of the year, black manager head coach, who by the way was the coach of the year by the coaches association. And you got OG running the show, Chris Paul, who's that OG from everybody neighborhood who, even though the game supposedly is passing by, you put him on your team and all of a sudden you're in the park all day. Um, you're balling all day. Yeah, and ain't nobody taking you off the court. Exactly. <laughs> ain't nobody taking you off the court because you got OG. You got the original OG. So I love the way that Phoenix team is balling. I love the fact that they have a different kind of vibe and chemistry. And I just think they're better than Milwaukee, to be honest with you. I just – I do. I, that's why I got them in six. Yeah, uh, me and Drew got them actually in uh, Milwaukee in seven, so I'm sticking by. Okay. But, you know, Josh, Josh got uh, uh, sons in seven too, so we with you. I'm in, Josh. But I, I can definitely, I can definitely see the sons in six, and you know, like you say, they got a lot to root for, especially you know, in 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 the case of being you know, you know, having black men in power on that team and really changing a lot of dynamics in the league, you know. With, with, right quick, what do you think? We, we talked about this a little earlier about some people being down on the matchup, and, you know, we all feel that, look, look in Booker and Giannis, you possibly are seeing two guys who could become regulars in the finals over the next 10 years. And, you know, if you're really about the NBA, you should be encouraging that and encouraging that turnover, that future, instead of, you know, whining about, uh, uh, LeBron and whoever not not being in the finals. You know what, what do you yeah. think about that? Yeah, I, I think fans in general like to be comfortable with what they're familiar with, and they're familiar with LeBron. They're familiar with Steph. That's yeah. just to, that. That's that that comfort food for them this time of year. But Devin is a delicacy. You know, Giannis is something that's yummy if you really want to sink your teeth into it. And <laughs> you're right; they do have the potential to be there for many many years to come. At some point, this had to happen, you know, because at some point, you know, Larry Bird couldn't go to the finals every year. Michael Jordan had to jump into this fray. Michael Jordan couldn't be that guy forever and a day. And then you got LeBron and and you you start going. I mean, this is part of the to me. 
NBA basketball is a relay, and it's a relay that's always going. And at some point, somebody's got to pass the baton to someone else. It may not be as quickly as some fans may want. It may be longer than some fans think it should be. It may be shorter, but that baton is going to be passed. And right now, we're seeing LeBron pass that baton to Devin, pass that baton to Giannis. I think Paul, you know, I think Paul George and, and Kawhi, they're gonna be they're gonna be back in the mix in a hot minute too. If Dallas can ever figure out who they can get to play, you know, with, with their with their guy, they could be in the mix. Boston, you got two all-stars in Boston, as I mentioned earlier, both under 25. So there's a lot of guys that have the potential to carry this league going forward. And that to me is a beautiful thing about this playoff series. And I didn't even mention Trey Young. Oh, Woo. yeah. Woo. Yeah. I mean, hair issues aside, Trey Young is, is, is <laughs> the hot one, man. He's that he's that dude. He is another one in that that dude category. Um <laughs> But uh, you know, what was uh my man Mackie said on the ESPYS the other day that uh, <laughs> see, Trey, Trey looked like a ball of hair that fell on the on the barbershop floor and came to life and started walking on. I felt so bad that I was cracking up about that joke. I felt really bad about that because I love Trey Young. Trey is one of my favorite players to watch. But when when Mackie said that joke, I'm thinking like, damn. damn. <laughs> Yeah, I, I know he's he didn't right, write that. Though. He's right. <laughs> that's what. That's why I felt so bad about it. Because if I felt that he was doing Trey wrong, I'm like, man, forget that cut. That, that ain't funny, man. That ain't funny. Actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> As someone who once upon a time used to have hair that fell to the floor, <laughs> I remember what it looked like well because I haven't seen it fall in a long time. And yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's definitely the case. I. You know, I'm wondering how long it's gonna take uh, Trey to go over the team, team Baldy. But uh, you know, we'll we'll see if if that happens. We always got room on the ship. We <laughs> always got room on the ship. Uh, tell y'all a funny story. Richard Hamilton, when I was in Detroit, he used to get on me and Chauncey because we both had the ball head, and we we're just like, "Yo, you keep cracking on us. You see what happened?" Maybe two, two and a half years later, all of a sudden, his runway started to come in shape, and so then he was just like, "Okay." We got to get rid of the runway and just have a nice, clean landscape. I'm like, see, that's what you get. That's what you get. <laughs> Which was crazy because he had the braids for so yeah, long. Exactly. Yeah. That's what you do. Braids the ball. That's the worst, though, when you got the braids and you try to hold on to that hairline. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we all know there's that one or two dudes that we know from around the way who got braids that start like in the middle of their forehead. Yeah. In the middle of their head, you're being like, damn, bro, seriously? Just Julio. let that go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like you got a ski cap on, but you only cover half your head. Oh, that's your hair. My bad. My bad. Yeah, man. Oh man, we I I, I gotta go, man. But we I, I we gotta bring you back to talk more about some about hair. And, <laughs> and and I, I gotta we gotta talk to you about being in the palace during the malice in the palace. We, cool. we gotta hear you talk about that uh firsthand, but uh Survive it. Really, really appreciate you, uh, you you coming on, man. We had a lot of fun with you for this short time, and like I said, we 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 definitely love to have you back on. Cool, cool. You know how to find me. I'll be around. Yeah, tell tell the people how to find you if you if you want to. Oh know. goodness, uh, Twitter a Sherrod Blakely, one word a s h e r r o d b l a k e l y. Uh, Facebook. Um, I, I'm on Twitch, but I'm not really on Twitch. Uh, I write for Ebony.com. I put a weekly. I have a weekly column with them. Uh, Bleach Report. I have a story in there every week. Uh, 
if you enroll at Boston University, I might be a teacher there because I teach at Boston University as well. Um, what else? There's a couple other jobs that I'm forgetting about that I do. Oh, I do some stuff with CLNS Media where I, I host uh, some couple of shows for them. I also have a podcast, uh, The A-List with A. Shrod Blakely and Kwani A. Lunas. Uh, we actually, uh, we, we have a, we have a we broadcast every week. And this week we're going to have a young woman on a, on a show by the name of Mirren Fader. Uh, she just wrote a book about Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes. Yeah. So that's like a, a huge get because obviously Giannis is kind of nice right now. Uh, so she's going to be on our podcast this week. That'll drop like uh, Thursday. Uh, no, Wednesday or Thursday. I I, my producer, he, he takes care of all that stuff. And uh, but yeah, that that so those those are the things that are coming to mind right away. But I'm, I'm I know I'm forgetting one or two streams of income, and I feel bad about that. But they don't. They're not going hard, man. You going hard? I like that, man. So yeah, you see Sharad. If you see Sharad, he working somehow. So if you see about the stream. I see, I see y'all coming. I got to keep running. I, I see coming. That's how that go. Well, you know what I'm saying? You got to leave a job or two for us, man. Oh, oh trust, trust I do. Trust. Listen, when I, I may be on the trail, but there are crumbs that I'm leaving as I go by. Trust me. We uh, appreciate that, man. Thank absolutely. You for, thank you very much for coming, dog. Drew, Josh, man, anything else y'all want to say before we head out? No, no sir. We, we Gucci. Just gonna, I'm just watching this Olympic game. I think USA is up right now, halftime. So, okay. you know, I'm going to follow the Olympics, Olympic team along the way and just see how this team turns out because, you know, this looks Who they, who they right playing tonight? Australia, I think? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, Joe Engels, Patty Mills, you know, them cats. No bit. Yeah. It's, it's wild how much talent is spread out throughout the, you know, the real NBA talent is spread out throughout the world now. So It's a global game now, man. You, you can't just go to Compton and Brooklyn and and, and and Georgia. I mean, it's it's you can go to Georgia, the one in Atlanta and the one across and across the league. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, Sharad. Thank you, brother. We appreciate you. No uh, problem. Enjoy the rest of your night. Enjoy the rest of these uh these finals and everything. And uh, yeah, like I said, we'll, we'll have you back on. Uh, we'll try to have you back on soon. Cool. All right, brothers. Have a good night. Good talking with y'all. Thanks, sir. All right. And uh, yeah, I'm heading out myself. I gotta switch over to my other show with uh, in the building. Feel free to stay here on uh, YouTube War Media on YouTube for our exclusive interview with Sky Zoo. And uh, yeah, that's it for me for now. That's it for us. We'll be back uh, probably uh, sometime next week, I guess. Or, uh, we'll we'll see how the series go. Maybe maybe we have to come back sooner than that. I don't know, but but uh, we'll we'll be checking up definitely again before the end of the finals. And uh, yeah, that's it for now, man. Uh, in the meantime, y'all keep bouncing and keep uh, keep tuned here on YouTube on War Media. All right.